1 Samuel 20, 1 through 17. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Well, we're taking a break from our study of the Gospel of Matthew and going back into our series about King David. Um, and today is Father's Day, and I know this passage mentions the word father a lot, but I didn't choose this passage particularly because it's Father's Day, because the father in here is not really a good example of what a father should be. Um, but we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um, in the book of Samuel, the story of David is so large, and there's so much content. You have to choose and select what you're going to go through. So the passage we went through last was chapter 18. We're skipping chapter 20 right now. Um, but as it's Father's Day, I did want to share with you a story about me and my father. He's, he's here now, um, so you can look at him while I tell the story. It's actually a story that he uh, shared with me earlier 
this week. And so, Dad, I'm stealing a little bit of your thunder. You won't get to tell it later because I already heard it, but you can correct me uh, what I didn't get right. Uh, but earlier on, um, when I was young, uh, we used to go to a water park called Adventure Island in Tampa. Uh, it's an amazing water park. And you all have a similar one here, uh, Adventure Landing, I think, here in Jacksonville. And my dad and I, we went to a water slide. It was a twin water slide, I believe. It was enclosed, and they would, like, curl together, right? Yeah. And the idea is you're supposed to get in and race down together, see who gets down the water slide the fastest. So my dad, got, my dad and I got to the top. We, he went down it. And he came out, and he was out first, and he was like, all right, I won. I beat my son. And then he was waiting for me to come out, and he was waiting, and he was waiting, and he kept waiting, and I didn't come out of the water slide. And so my dad is starting to panic a little bit. <laughs> he came out, but my son, his son didn't. And so he asked the lifeguard who was there, did you, did you see him come out? And the lifeguard was saying, no, no, I don't think so. And so... They let my dad go back up all the steps, cut the line, because they can't let anybody else go down if someone hasn't come out of the water slide. And they let my dad go down the slide that I went down. And he gets in, and he has to hold himself, and he's going really slow because he thinks that, obviously, if I haven't come out, I must still be in there. He goes slow, and he goes slow. And finally, he runs into me. And apparently... I'm just sitting there holding myself in the middle of the water slide. And my dad is just panicked a little bit. And he's like, Billy, what are you doing? That's exactly what it sounds like. Why didn't you slide down? And I said, I don't know. I didn't feel like it. I just wanted to stay here. I was, I, oh, I was five years old. I thought I was older than that. <laughs> I was five years old. Uh, sometimes our children don't make sense. That's the end of the story. We went down. <laughs> I'm thankful. I'm thankful my dad did not forget about me that he went up and came to me and brought me down. Because honestly, who knows how long I would have just stayed there in that slide. Children, don't do that to your parents. I'm looking at you guys. Don't do that to your parents, all right? I was five. Benjamin, you're older than five, man. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about the steadfast love of the Lord is a, Lord is a love that does not forget, that remembers, and that comes for us. I think I made that connection work there in that story. All right, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, the Lord's steadfast love. And so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and the context of our passage is essentially David fleeing. He's running away. Because you remember last time when we were in chapter 18, we talked about uh, the jealousy of Saul and how David had defeated Goliath, was leading Saul's armies, the armies of Israel, was defeating the Philistines for Saul, was winning battle after battle after battle, was victorious. And the people, and the, the, the more his fame grew, the more the people began to love him. And the more envious Saul became of David. And it eventually turned uh, into uh, being threatened by his presence. And we know by this point, Saul, had, Saul knew that the Lord had declared that he would no longer be king because he did not obey the Lord's commands. That someone else, someone better, was going to be king. 
And Saul had realized that that man was David. Okay, so Saul many times tries to kill David. That's the context of our passage. Chapter 19, verse 10, Saul tried to nail David to the wall with a spear. So David fled. Verses 11 and 12, Saul sent messengers to kill David. So he fled. And then once again in verse 18, David is trying to escape Saul's men. So he fled. The context of our passage today is David fleeing. And he flees And eventually, Saul becomes preoccupied with something else. And so he comes to Jonathan, the one man in Israel who might be able to help him, Saul's firstborn son, a man who has helped him before. And so that's where we are when our passage begins. In verse 1, first we're going to look at David's reliance on steadfast love here. In verse 1 it says, Then David fled uh, from Naoth in Ramah, and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Obviously, this is a very good question. You can hear the urgency in David's voice as he repeats these questions one on top of another. David doesn't understand why Saul is trying to kill him. We understand as the readers. We understand what Saul is doing. But David David doesn't know, but he seems to think that Jonathan knows. So he's kind of confronting Jonathan here and protesting his innocence. This isn't uh, him coming as, a, as an intimate friend. This is him coming as someone uh, protesting their innocence and wanting to know because he thinks Jonathan knows why Saul is trying to kill him. And of course, maybe if David knew what he had done wrong, then he could rectify the problem. Or at least he can make sense of what seems to be Saul's extraordinarily irrational behavior towards him. To him, none of this makes sense. So he asked Jonathan because he's really the only person that he can ask. And what's Jonathan's response? Verse 2. And he said to him, far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does not do anything either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Jonathan doesn't, he doesn't know. He has no idea that David has been running for his life, fleeing from Saul's constant attempts to kill him. And that seems strange. It seems, I mean, how could Jonathan possibly be this naive? Not you, Jonathan, this Jonathan. But there's a reason Jonathan does not think Saul is trying to kill David, back in chapter 19, the very beginning of the chapter, Saul actually told his servants, and Jonathan, he becomes so jealous, he tells them, all of them, that he wants them to kill David. And like David now, Jonathan didn't understand why Saul wanted to do this. So he told David to hide, and he confronted his father about his murderous intentions. He said, why would you want David dead? He's done nothing against you. In fact, he's only helped you. He, he killed the giant Philistine. He's won battle after battle against the Philistines for you. Everything he has done has been beneficial for you. Why, would you. why would you kill him? And Saul promised Jonathan, he, he agreed with him. He said he promised Jonathan that he would not kill David. And then two verses later, Saul tries to kill David. He grabs a spear and he throws it at him and he misses But Jonathan doesn't know that. As far as Jonathan knows, he has helped save David's life. 
and his father is no longer trying to kill him. Jonathan trusts his father. He is his father's confidant. And his father has not disclosed any new scheme to him for killing David. Okay? So David has to convince Jonathan. That's what he does in this next verse. It says, But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Okay? And this is clever language here. Because literally, the only thing between David and death is a step. Saul has missed David with his spear so many times at this point that the temptation for us as readers is to think he's, he's not very good at this, right? But we have to remember, Saul is a seasoned warrior. He'd be very good. It's not like me or you throwing a spear, and it would kind of you know smack flat against the wall. Saul was very good at throwing spears. And David barely escapes with his life each time. So David makes a vow. He promises Jonathan, Jonathan, your father is hiding these murderous intentions towards you because he doesn't want you to interfere again. Saul can clearly see that Jonathan is pro-David. So why would he say anything to him? Why would he reveal his plots to the one man who could effectively interfere with them? even if it's his own son. It's easier if Jonathan doesn't know. So Jonathan seems to believe David and agrees to help him. That's what we see next. Verse 4. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked me to leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there's a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be great well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. And I, uh, I appreciate this, these verses because immediately you can see the differences between these two men. Jonathan seems to be very straightforward, taking things at face value. David is more of uh, more cunning, more calculating. He devises this scheme for Jonathan in order to reveal Saul's true intentions. All right, so there's going to be this new moon festival. New moon is just the beginning of the month. There's a festival every new moon. And um, there was a sacrificial meal where they would remember God's provision for them. And the king would have had his own special event for the festival, and his court would have been expected to attend. Now, could anyone really, or could Saul really expect David to attend this new moon festival after he just spent the last 24 hours trying to have him killed? Right? My instinct would be no. But David seems to believe that he would be expected at the feast, despite everything that has happened to him. So David is going to ask Jonathan to do something that Jonathan's probably not very accustomed to doing, and that is to lie to his father. If Saul peacefully accepts David's absence, then he has no ill will towards David, but if he's angry, then he has murderous intention towards David. Now, David already knows Saul's intentions for him. He's been experiencing it, right? So most commentators would agree that this plot is 
Not for David's sake, so that David could learn what Saul's intentions are. But it's for Jonathan's sake, so that Jonathan can see with his own eyes his father's anger and murderous intentions for David. I don't think there's any doubt in David's mind that Saul is going to respond very angrily to to David's absence. He wants David there because he wants to kill him. But we're not going to see that response today. We'll see it next time. But David continues, verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servants, for you have brought your servants into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? All right, if you, if you think I'm guilty, why wait for your father? Just, just take care of me now. But we don't want to miss David's appeal here. David is not asking Jonathan to be a buddy, help me out. All right, that word for kindly, it's a, it's a very important word uh, in the Hebrew. It's a, it's a term that appears almost 250 times in the Old Testament. And it's that word hesed. It's actually the guttural in the beginning, but I, I can't really do that, so I won't do it for you. You can say hesed or kesed, H-E-S-E-D, all right? It's translated as kindly in my text. Yours may have loyally or faithfully. And it's a term most often used to describe God. It's, I think, the quintessential term used to describe God. It speaks not just of love, but of loyal love, not just of kindness, but dependable kindness. It's a love and commitment that will remain with you despite any daunting circumstances that threaten it. It's a covenantal type of love. Okay, so that's the type of appeal that David is making to Jonathan. All right, now David is able to make this appeal because you remember back in chapter 18, it says that David loved, Jonathan loved David as his own soul and made a covenant with him and their souls were knit together. David wants Jonathan to act with the hesed of this covenant that he made with him. The very kind of steadfast love that describes our Lord. Okay, so this hesed, this steadfast love, this is something that David and Jonathan would have learned from the Lord. And David's calling for him. Act with this hesed towards me that you promised me back then. So in David's time of fear, confusion, and trouble, he has um, taken himself to the one person who has made a covenant with him. And uh, in the refuge of that person, he's hoping to find hesed, steadfast love. So David says, if you think I'm guilty, why wait for your father? Just take care of me now. But Jonathan reassures David, verse 9. And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. Okay, and Jonathan and David and David are going to come up with a plan here for after the festival, how they're going to get back together and communicate with one another without revealing to Saul David's location. Um, they're not going to do that now, but they're going to do that later. So they go out into a field. Jonathan takes David out there, probably so that they won't be heard by others. So they're going out to this field. And now we're going to see how Jonathan is going to rely on steadfast love. Let's look at verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? 
But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Okay, and so David's going to be waiting for a few days in this field and wondering if Jonathan is going to report truthfully to him or possibly what normally would happen is, is would Jonathan go to his father, reveal David's location to him, and they would kill him together. And so David is seeking out this loyal love from Jonathan. And Jonathan is vowing that he is going to come back and tell David the truth about what has happened. Um, and so he's calling God to be a witness. Sorry, this is, this is a very serious vow that he's taking. So at the very end, he says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. All right, and this is an, this is an explicit acknowledgement that Jonathan knows that David is the next anointed king of Israel. Remember that when the Lord was with Saul, he anointed Saul and put his spirit upon him when Saul was to be king. And then when Saul disobeyed the Lord, um, he took his spirit off of him. He no longer had the anointing to be king, and he put it on David. And Jonathan is acknowledging David has that anointing, and that David is going to be the next king of Israel. Now, we expect he already knew this from chapter 18. The Lord was with Saul, and now he's with David. And it's for this very reason. Jonathan's acknowledging David's going to be next, the next king. Okay, and that, that should be Jonathan, right? Jonathan's the son of the king. But he's acknowledging that the Lord has chosen David. And it's for this very reason that he says what he says next. Verses 14 and 15. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies from, of David from the face of the earth. So the roles have been reversed here. At first, it was David who was afraid and depending on Jonathan so his life could be saved. Now it's Jonathan who is afraid and depending on David so his life could be saved. There used to be only one man in the field afraid, and now there's two. But why would Jonathan be afraid? And there's a reason, right? In those times back then, when there was a regime change, the king and his, there's a new king, um, they, would not just, they wouldn't just let the old king and his court, and his family, you know, kind of just let them go, fire them, and they could just go home and do something else. That was too dangerous. Kings were always afraid of being assassinated. And if you left someone from the old regime, you're risking a future uprising from them. And so what was normal is that the, the kings back then, they would, if there was a new king coming in, they would, they would kill not just the king, but his court and his family. Everyone involved. That was the normal thing back then. It's not like, you know, when we have a new president, you might say, you know, heads are going to roll. But that's not literal, right? It was just, it's, they're just going to be fired. They're going to get to go home, right? At least they get to go home. Here, it's a literal thing. Heads are going to roll. It was, uh, they would have killed all the old king's court and family to ensure a safe and peaceful transition of power to the new king. It's consolidation of power by liquidation. So it's not, uh, but at this time, so there, at this time there was a real danger with a new king for the current king and his family. Okay, so that's what Jonathan is afraid of. And that would have been normal. That's what they did. 
So Jonathan makes another covenant with David, asking him to show him and his family the hesed, the steadfast love of the Lord. That when David comes into power, he will do something that would have been very unusual for that time. That he would show the former king's family loyal love and kindness. At least Jonathan and his family. That's what Jonathan is asking for here. And of course, Jonathan says at the end, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies from David from the face of the earth, who was David's enemy? David's enemy was Saul. Not because of anything David had done, but because Saul was jealous and envious of him and and hated him and wanted to kill him. And so Jonathan is acknowledging that, you know, if, if David truly is going to be king and his father truly does want to kill him, Jonathan is, is acknowledging that the Lord is going to act accordingly with him. So he's choosing his loyalties here. So Jonathan tells David, when your kingdom comes, show me steadfast love. We'll continue on. Verse 16, and Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So Jonathan has chosen to be loyal not only to David, but to the Lord, because he knows the Lord has chosen David. So the two men rely on his said, on this covenantal love for endurance for now, and for hope in the future. And that's the end of our passage. But I know some of you will really want to know, does David end up keeping his promise to Jonathan? And I don't want to leave you guys hanging, all right? So we know David, we know David becomes king of Israel, right? Spoiler alert, okay? We know that happens. Um, and Saul and Jonathan, they die. They die in an ill-advised battle. So does David keep his promise to Jonathan's family even when Jonathan is gone. Go to, to find that out, we go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his faith, face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness, said for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Even years later, after Jonathan is gone, David remembers the covenant he made with Jonathan and shows the steadfast love of the Lord to his family. And that's the end of our passage. So David's steadfast love, his commitment to his covenant with Jonathan is truly something special. Even with Jonathan gone, he still keeps his promise to deal kindly with his family. And he learned that steadfast love from the Lord. And the Lord's steadfast love is infinitely greater than David's or any other person's love. I mean, if you study the Bible, and we've been going through Genesis in Sunday school, I mean, the Lord makes a promise to Abraham to bless him and his descendants. And even when Abraham passes on, he keeps that promise to Isaac. And even when Isaac passes on, he keeps that promise to Jacob. And even when Jacob is wrestling and struggling all through his life, he keeps that promise to Jacob and his descendants. And it just goes on and on and on. God is constantly remembering his promises 
and faithfully keeping them. That's why he's described as, I think it's in Exodus, uh, the Lord God who is slow to anger and abounding in hesed, in steadfast love. That's our Lord. That's who we serve. And we see that love personified in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, I'm going to read it to you. I don't have it up here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As believers, our hope and our security rests in the steadfast love of Jesus, our King. Our Lord remembers his promises, and he keeps them. And there is no circumstance that is ever so daunting that he would never show his steadfast love to those who trust him. All right, there's nothing that can separate us from him, not external circumstances, not our own sin. This whole passage, um, I thought it would be interesting to look. Where, where does David talk about the steadfast love of the Lord in the Psalms? And you don't have to look very far to find it. Psalm 13 tells us, um, it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It sounds a lot like what's going on with David in 1 Samuel chapter 20. I'm not saying that's necessarily the historical context for this passage, but it fits, right? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice, David isn't saying that everything's okay. Everything's terrible. He uh, is saying he's inches away from death. He's suffering. And the thing that gets him through, gives him endurance to get through this, is the Lord's steadfast love, knowing that the Lord remembers him and is with him. And the thing that gives him hope for the future is the Lord's steadfast love. I can remember, I can imagine David praying the psalm in the field as he waits for Jonathan. The thing that gives him endurance to continue is the steadfast love of God. So my prayer for each one of you as believers in Christ is that you would remember and trust the steadfast love of the Lord for endurance now through everything you're going through, that he is with you, that he keeps all of his promises towards you always. And that you remember it for the hope for the future. That when you come face to face to him, that you are relying on the, his steadfast love, his grace towards you. That his death on the cross as a substitute for your sins was sufficient. So my prayer for you is to remember that this week. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the story of David and how you have worked in his life. And the reminder and the demonstration of your steadfast love, of your loyal love, covenant love, committed kindness. There's so many ways because we just, we don't have a word for it. Um, but Lord, we're so thankful for your steadfast love to us. Um, you are truly steadfast. You are truly loving. You show mercy to us when we do not deserve us. You show us grace when we do not deserve it. And so, Lord, we are, we are so grateful for that. And so we pray that throughout this week, Lord, in everything that we go through, whether good or bad, we remember your goodness and your love for us and that you keep your promises to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things.